Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Adweek. I've got some big news. we we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, it's going to be really fun stuff. We've got some big news about us, about the podcast. Uh, we've got news about uh, the major. We are in the thick of award show season for the advertising industry. We've got quite a few to talk about. We've got a lot of events coming up. Uh, we've got a lot of Adweek stuff coming up, and we've got the Can Lions coming up right after that. But more important than all that, more important than the entire ad industry put together, is the introduction of our new co-host, uh, who many listeners will already know because she is on here frequently. Uh, Shannon Miller, creative editor for Adweek, is officially now the co-host of this very podcast and will be here, uh, you know, pretty much every week, unless she's got other stuff cooking. So Shannon, welcome officially to the podcast. What a welcome. Bigger than the entire industry? <laughs> how do <laughs> I all put together? How do I possibly live up to that? Hi. Shannon is one of my favorite people. Uh she is like you've you've made the the amazing leap that I'm sure everyone dreams about of going from being a friend of the show, Shannon Miller, for many years to being uh, an occasional contributor. And once you came on board full time with Adweek uh, and then now co-host, you have really uh, just climbed ladder. But no, I am tr- deeply honored. Uh, Shannon is such an amazing person, such an amazing colleague. Uh, she's our creative editor, as I mentioned, our creative and inclusion editor. She oversees a lot of our coverage of how inclusion is manifesting in the creative industry. Uh, both behind the camera and on screen uh and like myself is just and and now we will have no other no one to to stop us so this may we may go down some (laughs) deeply geeky rabbit holes but shannon and i are both uh, profoundly uh, nerdy about certain aspects of of geek culture so um yeah it's gonna be a blast having you every week uh so i'm so excited now before i have you tell uh, our listeners a little more about yourself about your background uh, I did want to talk about Coem, uh, who has been our co-host for quite a while and has been such a wonderful 
colleague and uh, such a steady hand and, and major presence on this show. Uh, unfortunately, the timing just did not work out to have Kobach on. She has gotten an awesome new job. Um, and if you follow her in social media, I, I don't know. I'm just being honest here. I don't know if she's announced uh, her new role yet. So I don't want to steal any of that thunder. Um, it's very exciting. And I am super excited for Co. Um, it, but she is she is leaving Adwick. Unfortunately, she was traveling uh, for several weeks without a microphone uh, during this transition. So we weren't not able to bring her back on. But Co, if you're listening, if for those who know Co, what a wonderful human being. Yeah. What a wonderful person to work with. And Shannon and I both are going to miss her every day. Very, very much. And she was such like a really calming and nice presence. So um, I can't replace Co, and I won't try to, but I really hope that I can bring something um, as similarly pleasing to the show. Yeah, well, much like Co, you have a wonderful heart, uh, which is something that, uh, you know, has always been one of my favorite things about working. Shannon was a freelancer with us for uh, quite a while and just brings so so much insight, so much warmth to everything you do. You treat everyone as humans first. Um, and, you know, it sound, that sounds like one of those things everyone should do, but I think we all know <laughs> not everyone does. Um, so uh, it has been such a joy having you on. How, how long have you been full-time now with Adweek? Not long. I started officially March 8th is when I became the um, creative and inclusion editor. It feels like it's been years, obviously, because I've been writing for Adweek in some capacity since 2018. But in terms of being here full time and this just being my world exclusively, it's only been a couple of months and it's been really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's Shan's coverage so great. Uh, we're building out our our team, um, which I won't get into because that's probably an entire other podcast. We've had a lot of new folks starting at Adweek in the last uh, last month. We've got even more really amazing people that I wish I could talk about, but can't talk about just yet. But that's fine because we've got a lot. And today's focus is Shannon. Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your background professionally. Uh, I don't know. You know, I always feel people ask feel bad asking people to describe their job first. Oh. But uh, I don't know. Tell us who is Shannon Miller. Tell us the the deepest darkest secrets here. Okay, so Shannon Miller is actually a mess, but she's super <laughs> excited and she's super eager. Um, I've been writing um, for about a decade. And in terms of podcasting, I've actually been podcasting since 2016. I think we've talked about the show a lot here at Nerds of Prey, where we are now three Black nerdy women discussing nerd culture from our perspective. Um, In terms of what I do at Adweek, my goal is to cover advertising and, and marketing um, holistically and from a perspective that isn't um, typically, uh, I don't want to say bolstered, but it does a perspective that isn't as prevalent as I think it should be. And marketing is, has come a long way, um, even over the past two years, but there's still a lot of road to cover. So my intention is to cover that as deeply and as honestly as I can Um, and still covering all of the nerdy, silly, wonderful stuff that makes this job a lot of fun. 
So, yeah, that is me in somewhat of a nutshell. I, you know, I will say that we, uh, Adweek does not have, uh, has not had a lot of creative editors um, The because it is a dream job and people tend not to leave it. So we had <laughs> uh, someone doing it for uh, Tim Nutt, who was co-host when we uh, first launched this podcast years ago. Uh, he had been here. He recruited me 15 years ago, if that tells you uh, how long. Wow. And, um, and then when he left, uh, I guess maybe about three years ago now, I moved into the role of creative editor. I'd been backing up and writing about creative for, uh, for years. But I mean, it is, I'm just gonna say I've had a lot of jobs. Uh, and it's great. It is. I mean, is there a better gig? I'm sure there are better gigs, but like, <laughs> I can't think of a whole lot of better gigs in this space than just getting to write about creativity, right? Yeah. It's, and then uh, that said, you know, we really wanted to make sure, and Shannon drove this as much as anybody, of, of bringing in inclusion in there and really making it part of the, the job title as well, because... I mean, we could sit around talking about craft all day. I don't think a lot of people necessarily spend a lot of time thinking or caring about craft. We all know, uh, yeah, a lot of ads are really well made. I think the biggest thing that's changed about Adweek in recent years is that we're spending a lot more time thinking about the implications of, you know, of creativity, of marketing. Right. Uh, and so I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, like, what do you think is the role that creative marketing can have in, we're about to talk about several campaigns when we talk about what's winning awards um, this season. There, there is certainly a consistent trend of work that is trying to break down stigma, mm-hmm. work that is trying to improve uh, the world and just the way we treat each other as human beings. What do you think is the role of creative marketing in really helping accomplish uh, better, better inclusiveness and just helping us have more empathy as, as a, as human beings? I don't know. That maybe sounds a little ostentatious for marketing, but I don't know. I think it's possible. I don't think it's ostentatious at all. I mean, when you really think about it, when you sit down and think about the role that marketing and advertising plays in our daily lives, it is, it, it permeates just about every aspect of our lives. There's really no way to avoid marketing or especially good marketing. Um, it's I think people relegate it a lot to TV ads and newspapers and billboards, but it's really all around you. And when you think of when you think of it in that capacity, then you begin to realize how much of an impact it can have in terms of how we shape our daily view, how we see the world, and how we associate people with certain lifestyles, certain products, certain experiences. So in terms of creative marketing, it has this role that I don't know that every marketer really thinks about extensively. But when you shape your creative marketing to look more like the world around you when you instill a culture that welcomes a more holistic view of the world and and how it operates around us it can only do great things for your brand but it also just makes you know how we view the world just a little better um i looking at some of the ads that we've covered over the past week even and how they they market themselves. I covered a recent campaign, a recent hiring campaign from WowTech, 
where they are looking to recruit a marketing expert. And even the language that was used in the recruitment process for that, um, because if, for those at home who don't know, WowTech um, is the one of the major uh, marketers of sex toys. And typically that is a very gendered thing. But for the ArcWave line of products, typically that would be uh, marketed towards men. And, but the language that they use is people with penises. Something small, as small seeming as that has a huge impact on how people sort of read and view the products that they consume. So it plays a huge role. It's not lofty at all to talk about advertising changing the world. I, you know, the I will say the I've I've edited I mean literally thousands of articles over the years the, the that I've been at Adweek. There's one I think about more so than any other. So I'm going to go back to the vault here uh, deep in the archives. 2013, uh, Rebecca Cullors, who was a longtime writer for us, uh, I believe it's now is a very successful creative director in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca wrote one of my favorite leads of all time, and it was on this exact uh, point. She said, it, it was Juno Diaz who said, if you want to make a human being into a monster, deny them at the cultural level any reflection of themselves. Mm-hmm. And and then of course she went on to talk about the importance of, of in this case it was about ability and and how in 2013 this was a very new thing is the idea of showing people with different levels of ability in in ads and not just and not just in this really sympathetic way right mm-hmm. um, but man I think about that quote so much because it it doesn't take a whole lot I think any marketer any person um, who expands the way that they represent the world, the way that they talk about the world, it doesn't take long before you start to get positive reinforcement from that, right? Mm-hmm. Like before you hear from people saying like, hey, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that I am part of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and it's like, I think about this a lot and Shannon and I have a feeling, you, you and I have both seen this kind of quote passed around over the years on, on social media, but it's like, there was this vibe for a long time that if someone was going to put a gay black character in a wheelchair in a story, like it had to serve a purpose. It had to be a reason that they were gay, mm-hmm. a reason they were black, a reason they were in a wheelchair. Right. And then, and then, like a few years ago, people were like, "No, th- no, it can just be that those people exist." <laughs> right? Make <laughs> it just imagine them just enjoying a Pepsi or enjoying a drink, and not having to think about all of their intersecting identities all the time, every day of every moment. Imagine, imagine if you just put them there. And anyway, we have many of our listeners I know have been through the casting process at different levels of advertising or of anything. There's a lot of different types of casting. And I will say that the most painful part of casting, of writing casting descriptions, and this is where I give so much credit. If you're out there, if you're listening to this and you have done anything at all uh, to really change the the breadth of casting and try to get more types of people represented. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I just want to, th- I want to say it, it is not easy. Literally writing one sentence, describing one person, because you will inevitably have a creative direc- director, a client. I don't know. There's a million levels at which someone can just say, well, why? Yeah. <laughs> why do they need to be, why do they need to be black? Why do they need to be a person of color? Why do they need to be like, oh, well, well if we're casting, why does it need to be a real lesbian couple? Mm-hmm. Why, why can't it just be two women, you know? And 
it's exhausting being the person who has to have those, <laughs> those those arguments and to explain why, like, because it's important, because they deserve to be represented, like, because our default shouldn't be straight white people. Right. Um, anyway, I realize we're getting down a rabbit hole, but mm-hmm. I think about this stuff a lot. And every time I see even subtle representation in ads, I'm just like, man, good on good on whoever initiated that mm-hmm. in a way that didn't come across as totally like uh cloying and like we're gonna go we're gonna be so we're gonna be so inclusive here it's like no i mean the ones who just yeah. do it in a subtle way and don't expect a pat on the back um good on you thank you for doing that right <laughs> to those people especially because it was it was probably a fight <laughs> if if any if any industry is any indication the when you have representation that looks seamless um seven times out of ten it was not seamless behind the scenes <laughs> like you said can i like, can I ask you what it was like growing up feeling, what was your take on feeling like whether there were people who looked like you? I mean, as a kid, like feeling feeling reflected on the screen in any way or in video games or just whatever. I mean, it, it came up so rarely that like it really didn't hit me until much later where I was like, I really had to adapt. I really had to sort of insert myself in places where I wasn't represented and just sort of find a connection in order to feel any sort of, you know, reaction to some of the products and the things that I enjoyed. Because when you are younger and your default um, around you is white, white male, white female, cisgender, you don't, it, it doesn't necessarily hit you that like you're not being represented you just see this thing where you're like, I'm going to have to make a connection with this some way. So even though me and this little white girl have probably very few things in common, she's playing with superhero toys. So I guess that's something. It wasn't until um, like the teenage years when I think that was like the first time that I saw and I couldn't, and I wish I couldn't remember the, the specific ad, but it was the first time that I saw like a black gamer girl. And it just really took me by surprise that I hadn't seen that, that that was the first time that I was seeing that at 17. And this is not like we're talking about like the 1960s here. I mean, I was, a t- was I a teen in uh, 2000s? How old am I? 35 now. Yeah. I mean, it was long enough to where it's like, this should be a pervasive thing or this should be a way more common thing than it is. But it makes such a difference when you finally get that first like taste of real inclusion. And then you're just sort of retroactively angry for a while that it took this long. And yeah, I, I just remember it not being until my teens until I was like, oh, I can be reflected in this. I don't have to like convince boys that I like this stuff. Advertising can just put someone that looks like me there and let that do the talking. You know what I mean? Well, and I feel like TikTok's been so huge in that regard too, of just just literally seeing people, right? Like mm-hmm. seeing the sheer breadth of people who share your interests. Because of course that algorithm is, is top notch at throwing you right down the rabbit holes that you're into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I love it. I love seeing that it's not just like, I am, I'm a, you know, I'll be straight. I'm a middle-aged, uh, bald white guy. Uh, you know, so I, I tend to be the kind of default image of a lot of this stuff. Uh, I love seeing that 
the people who share those passions of things I'm into. I love seeing, you know, people from so many different backgrounds who are into marketing, who are into mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons, who are into all this stuff. Man, it's I will say that's that's honestly my favorite part of TikTok, other than the adult swim meme lately, which is also so good. Great. So so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are going to take a quick break, um, and when we come back, we are going to talk about award shows, what's been winning in the last few weeks. We're not going to go heavy on Can Lions because we're going to have a whole episode where we kind of outlook, look forward to that one, um, but we've already had a lot of award shows, including Adweeks and including a lot of uh, events we've got coming up, so we'll be back to talk about that in just a moment. All right, we're back. Uh, as I mentioned uh, before the break, uh, it is it, it is heavy award season uh, right now. Shannon, I know you've been kind of adjacent to a lot of this stuff, but this is this is the first year you've really been like thrown into the maelstrom of the fifteen different award shows that all seem to hit at the exact same time. Yeah. It's uh, like we to recap for for those who are somewhat either new to the industry or just don't necessarily follow such things um we've got i'm just going to go off the top of my head here of how many i remember there's dnad which is based out of london uh so it's it's kind of british heavy but it's become one of the major award shows globally and uh and i will say if you're ever in london when they're back to doing a physical event it's probably my favorite festival i've been to mm. uh it's the youngest festival i have a feeling that a lot of uh, agencies send their a lot of british agencies send their younger staffers to that one because it's more affordable to send them just down to uh, uh shortage than to uh send them to can uh but it's uh that's a great festival so if you get a chance to go um but the that one kind of starts the cycle then we have Whew, uh, the Clio Awards that we've got the um, there's the one show so there's t- a nonprofit called the One Club uh, that has two award shows the One Show is probably the the more famous and then ADC which is stands for our Director Club although it hasn't actually been called that in a long time uh, ADC Awards has been around 100 years this year so congrats wow. to them on turning 100 uh, and uh, and then of course One Show is is really uh, probably second only to Can in terms of uh, really kind of notoriety. Each one tends to have a best in show, uh, and and there always tends to be kind of one mega winner at each of these shows. Uh, so I'm just going to cover a few of those. Uh, we've got uh, let's talk just because it was most recently just announced uh, ADC and um, and the one show on ADC. I feel like very clear winner was the uncensored library. Uh, have you have you gotten to watch this one much yet, Shannon? Um, I got to see a a bit of it, and I didn't get to see the um, whole thing just yet. I know that um, I, I saw that it involved Minecraft, and I was like, of course it did, because Minecraft is just such a malleable um, platform for for everything. It, so it's it's nice that um, advertising has sort of <laughs> welcomed that platform holistically, and they're just really running with it. There's been so many great campaigns over the year that that use Minecraft as a platform. Mm-hmm. You know, not as a game. It's not like oh, we're doing this thing with Street Fighter or whatever. It's they're using it as an open-ended platform. We saw campaigns that recreated. Uh, coral reefs that recreated lost historical sites in Minecraft mm-hmm. to raise awareness of those. Uh, the uncensored library was for reporters without borders. Um, there were several agencies involved. Um, off the top of my head, I remember it was DDB Germany uh, was really the main driving force behind this campaign. Uh, and then uh, uh, we had Media Monks uh, helped out on the production side and, and some other players involved. But essentially it... 
uh, it was a Trojan horse. Um, the uncensored library is completely built within Minecraft. It's accessible internationally, so anyone can kind of go in and go to this big, it looks like a big, gigantic library. Uh, and it has articles in it that had been censored in various parts of the world, uh, whether it was coverage of COVID-19 or of politics or of protests um, or of incarcerations. And uh, the, you know, countries including uh, some obvious ones like China, but then also uh, Mexico and uh, Russia, uh, as you might suspect. And so they put all these documents in one place. And then they found that Minecraft is not censored. You know, these governments, these, uh, you know, some are authoritarian, some are just censorship minded. Uh, They don't have a way to really clamp down on Minecraft. Uh, so they used it as a way to build this library and make it a, a, a hub for press freedom. It's won several awards uh, already, but it really dominated ADC, uh, which is kind of a design and interaction uh, focused uh, award show. Uh, and so congrats to DDB Germany was named Agency of the Year there. They, they won just all the different top honors uh, for that for that program, uh, and I have a feeling we're going to see it again. We're definitely it's going to come up in a minute when we talk about Adweek's Experiential Awards, where that also was our uh, nonprofit category winner as well. Um, but I mean, how old is Minecraft now? More than ten years, right? Oh yeah, way more than ten years. Um, when did Minecraft? And like, still going, still. You know, they haven't even put out Minecraft 2 yet, so it's like they're still building off this original platform. Yeah, they, at this rate, they don't need to. There is so much that you can do. I, we actually have an upcoming story, another Minecraft story, where they recreated um, a whole museum in Minecraft because simply because we were distanced. We were socially distanced, and um, that was the only way that people could really access the the artwork there. Like. Minecraft is such like you could you could do just about anything in there. It's wild. Um, so the uh, that was the big ADC winner. I have a feeling you're going to hear from this one again. Now some award shows eh, theoretically can um, they don't give their top honors to nonprofit uh, categories or to nonprofit uh, entries. The thinking there being just that it's easy, I guess, to create uh, emotionally compelling nonprofit work. And so uh, with a few exceptions, a lot of the larger award shows do not give Grand Prix, do not give Best in Show to some of these nonprofit categories. So you may not see that one get quite as much love at um, at uh, Cannes as it did at ADC. Um, I did want to go back uh, a little bit before we talk about one show. Uh, in late May, we had the DNAD winner. So DNAD's top honor is the the black pencil. Uh, this is supposedly, I mean, I'm not here to tell you where you should rank these things in your own priorities, but uh, supposedly the black pencil is the hardest award to win, uh, period. Like it is easier to win a Grand Prix at Cannes. There are 28 uh, Grand Prix awarded at Cannes, not counting if they give more than one Grand Prix, which certainly happens. Uh, there's usually only like, I think between two and five uh, black pencils. So I've had creatives tell me like that they've worked on literally some of the most celebrated campaigns in the world ever and have not won black pencils. Um, so, uh, so that one's got a lot of attention on it each year. This year, there's one that we will be talking about quite a lot, uh, AMV BBDO's Womb Stories uh, for Essity, which is parent company of brands like Labress uh, and Bodyform. Uh, that one was a black pencil winner. Again, we will be talking about that because it won very handily at the one show as well. True Name uh, from MasterCard. Have you been following this one, Shannon, the, um, 
true so true name i'll just kind of catch people up it's it's from um McCann, uh, New York, uh, launched this. I, I believe it was a uh, trans employee who came up with the idea of credit cards should allow you to use your chosen name and not just your legal name, which is obviously an issue for uh, trans people who don't not only don't use their old name anymore, but really see it as their dead name. Uh, the, the, do not see it as something that reflects them. It's on the one hand, it's kind of a simple thing, right? Just offer that as a service. But it required a lot more than that. I mean, the amount of buy-in that has to go in from a client like MasterCard to make something like that happen. Yeah. They recently announced they're expanding it globally. Um, to me, that's just one of those great examples of what can an agency do? Why does representation uh, and inclusion matter in the creative planning side? I don't think this is an idea that would have come from people who aren't, you know, really part of the, haven't gone through the life experience of being a trans person or being exposed to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's great. I just, you know, I'm not one to get all warm and fuzzy about marketing stuff, but this one, I got to admit, it's pretty great. I mean, it's, and like you mentioned, it's such a simple thing in, in practice. Like it's such a, you would think, or at least you would think, you would think that um, something like this would have been something that they would have thought of that were any um, credit, hard, credit card house would have thought of years ago, especially during um, the time when trans people really had to fight diligently for their rights with this last administration. You would think that it would be something that would sort of naturally come up. So to see MasterCard and McCann take this on and be kind of a leader in that space is really nice. And we can only hope that others follow which tends to be the trend in terms of yeah it's you know that's a weird thing like it can go either way right Mm -hmm. sometimes it really encourages other players in a major space to offer a similar service other times they're like oh no they've 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 made such a fuss out of that yeah that we're you know we're not going to do it now i would hope that that's not a reason not to do something like this. I feel like this has come up on this podcast. If not, I'll I'll happily say it anyway. Um, I'm a big believer that accessibility improves everyone's lives, right? Like you, you hear people say, oh, well, we can't make everything accessible. You know, obviously this comes up a lot with disability stuff is, is like, well, you know, we can't make everything accessible to everybody. It's like, yeah, but the more you try, it gets better for everybody. You know, there's a great episode about curb cuts uh, that 99% Invisible did about how putting curb cuts on city streets obviously was usually beneficial to people in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. It's usually beneficial to everybody. Right. <laughs> so it's one of those things that you do not realize it's not just, I mean, not to water down a, a any sort of cause here, because everything in terms of how you market to the people, it's, it's important to people that you make your things accessible, that you make your things inclusive, that you make your things um, reflective of the world around you. But it's also just good for your brand in terms, if you look at times or trends where people have felt especially excluded, people have a way of mobilizing. And this is not like a threat or a scare, but just something to consider. When you make your things accessible or inclusive, it is an objectively good thing for your brand, especially now where you're dealing with Gen Z who statistically statistically, is 
some of the most socially conscious consumers on the market who are spending their money in places that reflect their values, you want to chase that as best as you can. And the best way to do that is to be authentic about, you know, how you reach out to these marginalized communities and how you pivot your products to service them better. Yeah. I, you know, it's the idea of letting people use the name that, that really reflects their identity on their card that goes well beyond trans, you know, that Mm -hmm. goes, I know, I know so many people who, their legal name is not their name, right? right? It never has been. And they hate it. And like they, it's sometimes it feels like you, yeah, you can go legally change it, but that's a hassle. Um, and so to me, it's like, it's like subtitles on videos, right? That's probably the most commonly talked about accessibility thing is it. Yes. It is nice. If you're, if, if you're deaf, uh, it's nice to have subtitles uh, on videos mm-hmm. It's also nice if you're just chilling and don't want audio. You know what I mean? It's like right. there's every, again, going back, making these things more accessible, whether it's financial products, whether it's uh, just all the stuff we do as content creators, helps everybody, helps all of us. It's like, you know, there are benefits. So not to get down a, uh, you know, a, a spiral there, but mm-hmm. it is something where I think this is a perfect example of what we were talking about at the beginning of what can marketing do? Like mm-hmm. what can agencies do? And the uh, the third black pencil at uh, DNAD this year went to um, a Boards of Change, uh, which was a uh, Black Lives Matter uh uh, initiative, I guess you would call it, from FCB Chicago, uh, that turned a lot of these, um, the you know the the boarded up shops that became murals uh, that we all saw over the last year, and tried turning some of those into polling places. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, this is one that we've seen. I'll tell you, like, if you want to, this sounds opportunistic, but I will say that juries love when agencies can find a way to blend creativity with voter access, right? Which of course became an even bigger conversation than ever over the last year. Uh, but we saw this a few years ago with Boost Mobile's, uh, I think it was called Boost Your Voice, Boost Your Vote, sorry, camera on top of my head. Um, that one uh, won every award on earth <laughs> and and the its effectiveness was limited. Uh, it, it, they they planned to turn every Boost Mobile store into a polling place. Uh, they were not able to do it in very many places at all. It turns out not because Boost Mobile, uh, but because of the election systems in America. I'm sure, Shannon, you and everyone listening will be shocked to learn that the American election system is not tremendously flexible in ways that help people have easier access to voting. What? I, right? <laughs> you and I both living in the South, this is shocking. Never news. heard of this never once knew about this and that that was i remember the uh, boost the boost campaign came from uh, man again recurring theme here it came from a uh, from employees who lived in minority communities uh, at this agency who came in and said yeah sorry i was four hours late i was voting mm-hmm. and and they were like why does it take four hours to vote because for the white people in the in the you know the suburbs and stuff voting was a 15 minute thing. in and out and they're like have you not seen a polling place in downtown, you know? And um, and that's what initiated it was just this idea that there were so few voting. And they, they were the first, I think that was 180 was the agency. And they admitted, they're like, we never would have had this if we had had all white staff. Like, we would not have known uh, that this was an issue. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's our recap of DNAD. 
And then on to one show, uh, which as we record this was just announced, the winners there. Uh, the big one, as we mentioned earlier, was Womb Stories. Uh, this is from Agency AMV BBDO in London. It's for Essity, uh, which we talk about a lot, which is amazing considering we are a largely U.S.-based publication, uh, but Essity does not really own that many brands here. Um, it, they own Bodyform and Labresse in Europe. They own a few uh, across Latin America that are quite popular. So they do have a presence in North America, but I would say that, that this is largely a European-focused campaign. Uh, but Womb Stories continued a years-long uh, marketing partnership, creative partnership between AMV and uh, Essity to really just head-on tackle stigmas uh, that face uh, you know people who menstruate specifically, but it's grown uh, quite a bit beyond that. Viva La Vulva mm-hmm. uh, was the follow. So initially it was Blood Normal, uh, which really just addressed the fact that why don't we show blood in uh, menstruation ads and period in period product ads? Why do we use blue liquid? Uh, which those of us of a certain age grew up only seeing blue liquid mm-hmm. in tennis uh, tennis scenes, um, and they directly address that. Why don't we talk about things like uh, period sex. Why don't we talk about things like uh, the role that uh, partners play uh, if for people who menstruate? Mm-hmm. Just man, Blood Normal really swung for the fences uh, out of that. <laughs> that was a campaign that was just like, oh, if we're going to do stigmas, we're going to do all the stigmas. Yeah, for like an <laughs> old, old marketing institution. Like, I, I, you just growing up, you just sort of accept the blue liquid as like Bible. <laughs> so that it was pretty amazing that they went for something like that. Yeah, and and you know, again, we could spend an entire hour on this, but what infuriates me as uh, as a, f- a fully grown adult, as a parent, as someone who does not menstruate, uh, man, they didn't teach me any of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like in college, not only did I not learn any of this in high school, sex ed for, for boys does not talk about menstruation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just talks about hopefully not getting, you know, people pregnant. Um. But they, nothing. I knew nothing. I had sisters. I had a, a great relationship with my mom. But, you know, there's all these social stigmas on them not talking about this stuff. Um, and I and it wasn't until really as a, as a father that you realize just how much you don't know. And it just makes me angry. <laughs> you and know? it's like on the flip side of that, what made Womb Stories so resonant is that it's the opposite for girls and women. Like when our sex education involves everything, you don't know a whole bunch about us, but we know everything about y'all from jump. Like (laughs) it is harrowing. (laughs) And so it's like, it's, it's interesting because it's like, we were able to talk about everybody's bodies, but our own in, in that works. And that's just sort of how it works both in and outside of the ad space. So something like womb stories and other campaigns that are making sure to, center on the non-male experience. Um, So campaigns that normalize breastfeeding, campaigns that normalize menstruation and um, actual, you know, blood being involved in menstruation and not this like Kool-Aid looking liquid. I mean, it's really important. All of it works to move the needle. And I think Womb Stories did just an excellent job of making sure, giving non-male folks an opportunity to talk about our bodies. Yeah, and, and so, like, the chronology there, yeah, as I was saying, you know, they did Blood Normal. Blood Normal absolutely just got a ton of attention. This is about four years ago. 
and uh, and really rattled the industry in a way I've never seen never seen a campaign do. They followed that up slightly differently with Viva La Volva, which was really more about, that was for a different product line that SD makes, um, but it was really more about Volva Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember at the time, even, they really talked about how uncomfortable, not, not just guys, but just uh, that everyone was about talking about vulva, talking about vagina, talking about the difference between those, uh, about insecurities they had. And so Viva La Volva's one of the most gorgeous ads ever made, um, one of the most perfectly crafted ads. And it certainly got attention, uh, made made a lot of people uncomfortable, but it is a beautiful piece of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was great about Viva La Vulva and that you can really see in the DNA of womb stories is that it incorporated so many different uh, art styles, uh, like ways of visualizing uh, some of these issues, uh, in that case, uh, vulvas specifically. And, you know, it just made it so great to see so many different perspectives and not just see the ones that are kind of um, obvious. Uh, mm-hmm. And the uh, so visually, that one really accomplished that. They built on that with Womb Stories. So Womb Stories brought in a bunch of different creators. It's much more open-ended. It's almost hard to even describe as a campaign. But it is about the realities of of having a womb is basically the way they described it. Um, of you know whether it's things like endometriosis, which is obviously nightmarish. Uh, if you don't know what it is, you should read up on it because the people who endure it, uh, it, it is excruciating, and I feel so much empathy for them because it's uh, you know, and a lot of that I have to say is stuff. I, <laughs> Like, again, this sounds awful, like stuff I've learned through marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are conversations and Google searches that I've had to do or just honestly talking to friends of mine um, because of, about their own experiences after uh, watching some of these videos. Um, but Womb Stories talks about uh, obviously just the month-to-month aspects of menstruating. Um, but and, and again, a lot of these social issues that came up with and stigma issues that came up with blood normal. But then it also just got into childbirth, pregnancy, failed pregnancy, uh you know, uh, uh, this whole lifelong cycle uh, for that people go through and it's super powerful and just the sheer scope of creativity in that. So uh, it did exceptionally well um, at the one show. I was just trying to pull up exactly how many uh, it <laughs> like to take all of them. <laughs> it took every word. I think so. Um, so let, let me let me try to recap uh, how much it won at the one show. Uh, let's see. Best of show, six best of disciplines. So that's basically Grand Prix. Um, so one best of show, six of those, 12 gold pencils uh, at one show. Um, I mean, just holy cow. Like what a dominator. So have a feeling. Just going to go out on a limb. <laughs> I think we're going to see it again at <laughs> But um, the last uh, word thing I wanted to talk about, and this is kind of a preface for what we've got going on next week, uh, and then we'll wrap up here, uh, is Adweek's Experiential Awards. This one we do every year. Obviously, Experiential, been kind of weird the last two years. Yeah. Um, we this year, Last year's award show was kind of, uh, it took place this time of year, and the quarantine... Uh, had really just started having uh, a, a real lasting impact on the kind of work that we were seeing. So last year was a hybrid. It's like we saw these normal world campaigns, and then we saw uh, the adaptation uh, to the, the the life in quarantine. This year was all pandemic, right? Like mm-hmm. 
everything. So were there any, we talked about Uncensored Library, that one uh, was was one of our winners. Uh, but Shannon, any that jumped out to you uh, as being especially interesting? We had a wide breadth of honorees, I'll say that. No, no one piece of work necessarily won a, you know, a ton of different categories. So were there any that jumped out at you? Were there. I'm going to try to keep this brief because this is actually like probably my favorite awards. I mean, Creative 100, my baby, obviously. I, I love it to death. But Experiential this year was so satisfying to cover because it kind it really pushed the industry to think outside of where they normally head to when in, in terms of having like really splashy, really inventive um, Experiential. Um, and there were two in particular that I really loved. First of all, Lovecraft Country Drive-In is my dream. It is, I mean, a scary drive through is something that is incredible for those um, at home who were um, not aware. So they, they had to premiere Lovecraft Country. And instead of, you know, having your standard screening, they had a drive-in to premiere the show. I, I believe it was to influencers and to press. But before you got there, you had this drive-through experience, it's this entirely contactless drive-through experience where it places you right in the scary as hell town of Lovecraft Country. And as you're driving through, you see these billboards that um, advertise actual FM stations where you can tune in to actual content. There were contactless snack stations that were powered by Black-owned businesses. So before you even get to the show, you have this full-on experience. Then you deal with the scary show, and as you drive out, you have these actors that are doing, like, protection enchantments on your car. Brilliant. Brilliant. That is amazing to me. And it was so in tune with the show's ethos that it's just something that is that is so wonderful. Um, however, yeah, cause you, you don't want, you don't want anybody in that show touching you either. No, no. <laughs> best, best case scenario. You don't have to worry about any scary tentacle monsters or anyone thinking that there's a scary tentacle monster. It's going to erupt out of their skin randomly. No, scary and safe, <laughs> scary and a, total, a nice safe tour of Lovecraft country. It was just such a, and especially during a time when drive-ins were sort of the, the, uh, flavor of choice for premieres. You you ran into an issue where it's like, okay, it's already like month two into this pandemic and everyone's done drive-through. How do we make this different? And they really just swung for the fences on that one. And I thought that that was so cool. But another one that I really loved um, as a person who is stuck in Florida and can't do cool things like that too often, I really loved the um, flight attendant interactive coffeeology experience, which for anyone who works in media um, or is an influencer, we have done so many of these Zoom press conferences. And after a while, um, in the, I think they kind of considered that that was just going to be the way for a long time, even after we started opening up. So this one was really cool where they sent coffee kits to everyone at home and the ruse was going to be that we were going to learn how to make these very fancy 
fancily presented um, cups of coffee, which would be enough for me. I'd be like, dope, that's amazing. But instead, the person that, or the barista was an actor. And it was actually the, oh God, I'm, I'm trying to like get all of the cool points in and like a very succinct nugget. But basically, instead of doing what was your standard how to Zoom meeting, they had a sort of immersive experience that took you into the very scary world of the flight attendant, which is like, murder mysteries and such so they yeah like the i mean, i don't know if I, I don't think i'm spoiling anything i'm no. saying like i think the barista is like literally murdered while you're uh or is he abducted as i, I forget it's like while you're watching the the yep. the responses of all the people watching is the best part of that thing of just everybody yeah <laughs> nixed right on camera and they have like and there were uh plants there were actor plants within the actual um corral of uh, reporters too so they were in on it and they were getting kidnapped in real time <laughs> it was just you just if we're going to have to do these zoom interactions there are so many ways you can diversify that and make it so fun and I thought it was so important to highlight that because advertising tends to get very comfortable in the major hubs LA New York Chicago there's a way to bring in industry folks that are not in those major hubs like over here in Florida, David and Alabama, we want to do cool stuff too. So this is, I thought that that was just a very inventive way to sort of widen the net a little bit. Well, I have to encourage everybody to check out if you Google experiential awards ad weeks, you will find our, our roundup of all of this year's winter. There are a lot uh, and they're all pretty fascinating. We've got case studies of each when we can, um, and uh, one I would mention uh, that uh, I can't remember if we've talked about honestly on the show, but is Super Wendy's World. Uh, this is not so much one activation as it is an entire, geez, like a, like a brand focus for a year, essentially. Wendy's, uh, as some may remember, they won a, um, a Grand Prix at Cannes when they went into Fortnite and they created a character who looked like Wendy. And then she went around smashing all the freezers in the fast food restaurant in Fortnite. Uh, because Wendy's is proud of the fact they don't freeze their meat. And it got a lot of attention. People loved it. It won an outlandish, uh, outlandishly huge awards, like I said, Grand Prix at Cannes for something that probably took like an afternoon to pull off. Well, they, to their credit, agency VML YNR out of Kansas City uh, and Wendy's took that ball and ran with it. And they really, be they went deep on video game streaming uh, and customizing every game you can customize. So if you can make a, if you can make a Street Fighter character look like Wendy uh, and make another one look like Ronald McDonald and just pound the crap out of him, they did that. Uh, they literally did that. If you can make a Super Mario Maker level that looks like Wendy's inspired by Wendy's, they did that. Uh, of course, Animal Crossing, because that's pretty much where all of us yeah. lived <laughs> over this last year. Um and uh, yeah, like any any game that they could customize in the process, they became one of the top 1% of streamers on Twitch, uh, which is no small uh, accomplishment. We're going to be talking about that on Thursday of this week as this episode airs, uh, June 17th at Elevate uh, Experiential and Creativity. Uh, we're going to be featuring s several of these award winners and our Creative 100 honorees that we talked about in last week's episode. Uh, but specifically, Wendy's and VML YNR are going to be on hand to talk about that initiative 
And I think it's going to be a great one for brands and for marketers to learn from because it's really about, as Shannon knows very well, like this, any community, but especially when you talk about like gamers or any kind of really specific niche community, tread lightly. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't just like lunge and be like, hello, fellow kids. <laughs> I, I'm a brand like they so Wendy's really went in there with sincere like willing to do the work, you know, really willing to do the effort. I will say like in a similar way, I've always been impressed how Arby's like when Arby's does nerd culture stuff, they they do it. Yeah. Arby's goes deep. They get they they cut deep on those references uh, on their Instagram content. This took that to that idea to a, a whole different level. Um, and I'm excited about that one. That's going to be a really great, all this is free by the way. So we've got a quick plug for all the stuff Adweek's doing. Uh, we have our event called Adweek at home. Normally this is what we're doing, uh, at it's Adweek at Cannes. Um, and instead we are obviously remote still. There is no can in can this year. Uh, so Adweek over this coming week, uh, we're having four days of free programming. So you can just look for Adweek at home on, you can just Google that and it's free to register for. We got, uh, several days of talks and then it's going to culminate in, in, uh, elevate experiential and creativity on Thursday. Shannon will be there. I'll be there. Who are you talking to at Elevate? Um, at Elevate, I'm really, really excited to talk to writer and illustrator Johnny Sun. Um, we'll be talking about Johnny's work on BoJack Horseman and how he sources creativity. Yeah, he's got a new book out, mm-hmm. newish. Like, yeah, Johnny's a fe- spectacularly interesting person. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, I will be moderating the Wendy's discussion uh, that we we're just talking about. Uh, we're going to have Jordan Dinwiddie, uh, who I think is just one of the most fascinating copywriters in the world mm-hmm. right now. She's at Widen and Kennedy uh, and does a lot of their best work uh, for Nike. Uh, she's going to be there uh, kind of, I think, kicking off the day. Uh, man, it's going to be fun. Uh, exp- Elevate Experiential Creativity is one of my favorite events we do. I, I miss I miss seeing everybody in person, but I love the fact that we can open it up to everyone. I love the fact that it's free. Uh, so yeah, hope everybody can tune in because a year from now, we'll be back to doing it in person like suckers <laughs> flying to New York and having to wear suits and putting on pants that aren't pajamas. So let's all enjoy it while we can. Um, that is, uh, yeah, that's it. So I would just encourage everybody to check out Adweek at Home, check out Elevate Experiential uh, and Creativity to learn how you can hop in on those. You'll see me, you'll see Shannon. Yay. Hop in the chat. Tell us what you're thinking. Please do. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's it. Thanks, everybody. And then next week uh, episode, we're going to go deeper on can predictions, uh, hopefully drag in some of our colleagues who will be covering that with us as well. But that is for next week. Uh, for now, uh, Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you. I hope that I bring in a lot of insight and energy and that I do not mess this up too badly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are overjoyed to have you. I am overjoyed to have you um, as our new co-host. So welcome. Thank and thanks for thanks for everybody for listening. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGibney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on a- Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, 
forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.